0: Welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am David Bax. Uh, Tyler is still out of commission. If you want to know what's going on with Tyler, I would recommend going to carryingbridge.org slash visit slash Tyler and Jennifer Smith. Again, that's carryingbridge.org slash visit slash Tyler and Jennifer Smith. That's where you can get updates. Uh, You can also find at... um, the top of the homepage of battleship pretension.com you can find um a link to the GoFundMe. um that's where you can help tyler's family out with uh, with their mounting medical costs as this thing stretches on into nearly half a year at this point um so again, um, check that out. It's just me this week, so I don't know if I have a top of the show type of uh, pre-topic to to do. Um, if you want to hear our thoughts on the um, Oscar nomination, me and Scott, not nominations, me and Scott, uh, you can uh, you can uh, subscribe to the Patreon, Patreon.com slash Battleship Retention. We went through all the categories, uh, minus the shorts. We went through all the categories and talked about what uh, we were surprised about and and what the Academy might have been thinking and and what kind of show it might be uh, and stuff like that. Um, So, uh, yeah, check out the Patreon. That's how I'm going to start the episode is by doing a plug for the Patreon. Then then what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you about tweakedaudio.com. Tweakedaudio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. Uh, I use them each and every day. Tyler, I don't know because he's in a new facility now. Um, He might be using them. Uh, He wasn't using them in his old facility because he had a private room and didn't need earbuds. Uh, (coughs) Oh, pardon me. (coughs) Um... But uh, they look great. They sound great. I use music every day. Uh, today, continuing with the best metal albums of twenty twenty two, I listened to an album. Well, the band is uh, S A O R Sour Sour. Maybe I don't. I'm not sure how um, you pronounce it. And the album is called Origins, and uh, uh, yeah, it's a. Black metal, folk black metal um band. I'm trying to uh they're from the UK. And uh the album's great, especially to listen to all at once. I listened to it on my earbuds while I was on a walk um uh early this morning, and uh it's a great experience to listen to all all at once as a as a complete album. And it sounded great on my tweakdarty.com earbuds. Uh those are available at a low, low price. At tweakaudio.com, But if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So please go to tweakaudio.com and use the offer code pretension. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. BiteClear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's BYTE.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with BYTE. Okay, I'm back uh, from the break, but I'm also back from Park City back from utah for the first time since the early days of 2020 when when uh, the world changing pan- pandemic was uh, closing in on us and we didn't even quite know it yet um so it was great to get back to to park city i'm very uh lucky to be able to to do that um for my this is my sixth in person um Sundance uh, it's um, it's really a great time up on the mountain and in the snow I would say overall this year's slate was maybe it was just maybe I just made bad selections Um, it wasn't as great there were a couple real winners but uh, uh, and then and a couple of real stinkers but maybe more than a couple of real stinkers but um, most most of the most of it, it was just a sort of like down-the-middle type of, like, yeah, some interesting movies, um, but not overly interesting. Uh, I'm going to start with one that I didn't love. Uh, it's a documentary. It's directed by Ido Mizrahi, or Ido Mizrahi, um, called The Longest Goodbye. Um, and this is a documentary about space travel, and uh, specifically about the psychology of of space travel there's interviews with nasa that's NASA sort of official psychologist and um uh a look at you know studies that have been done on people uh you know living in confinement for a long period of time um some anonymous studies that have been done of past astronauts but also a lot of past astronauts being resistant to being analyzed in this kind of way. It was interesting in the sense that I learned a lot, but it really didn't feel like it felt more like a TV special than, than a movie. Um, you know, it feels like I got some good tidbits that I could like bring up if space travel comes up in a conversation at some point down the line, but it didn't really, it didn't really move me. Um, the, uh, the next documentary, which I thought was going to be a little bit more, like, cutesy, and it is, but also I did kind of find it moving, uh, It's called Kim's Video. It's directed by David Redman and Ashley Saban. And uh, it is about the New York um, chain of video stores, Kim's Video, uh, that closed in the early 2000s. Um, but it's not... And it has some of that, like remember when this sort of thing existed, this like weird video store that had all these rare tapes and bootlegs and, and stuff and people like Robert Green and Alex Ross Perry like worked there as clerks at at some point. Um and it has some of that, but David Redman, um, of the two directors, he is the one who is operating the camera, um and is the narrator of, of the, of the movie. Um, he was a, he did not work at the video store. He was a member who rented there and, um, sort of became, seems to become obsessed with the collection. And where did this 55, this collection of 55,000 tapes and DVDs end up, you know, um, who has access to it that sort of, um, Sort of thing, uh, and and so it's a a really fascinating story that leads him to multiple other countries trying to, trying to track down this collection. It uh, gets him into some <laughs> trouble with the law at at one point. It's a so it's a very fun story, but also we are learning more about Mister Kim, um, y- Yon. Youngman Kim um yeah Youngman Kim uh in his own cinematic obsessions and so you see this this obsession this drive um and this uh this fixation on movies in general rare movies in general and these movies this this these physical like tapes and DVDs and stuff uh particularly um overlap between the director and and uh and Mr. Kim and so the movie ends up being it's like a fun story that it's actually like a really good story uh but it's also a look at the way that um art be it the creation of art or the collection of art and the enjoyment of art um helps people focus or process or sublimate their um Neuroses, maybe, is the word I'm looking for. Uh, So, yeah, the movie's, like, fun and funny, and it's a great story, uh, but it's also uh, way more uh, thoughtful and uh, provoking than I expected it to be. Uh, All right, next up, um, a film called The Eight Mountains. Um, This is in... I've got three in a row here that are all in the spotlight section at Sundance. And what that means is Sundance is a film festival, you know, it's a premier film festival, um, in more, more ways than one. Uh, and I mean, literally in that mo- almost every movie that plays, there's a premiere. It's premiering at Sundance cause it's a uh, prestigious festival and that's what people want. But they also, they do reserve a small section of the programming, um, for, movies that made a big impression on their programmers at other festivals over the course of the past year that haven't yet come out in the U S. Um, so I've got three in a row that are part of the spotlight section. So the eight mountains is one of them. Um, it's also, it's two and a half hours long, which is, um, not, uh, normal for Sundance. Sundance movies tend to be on the shorter side. Uh, uh, but you gotta get through all eight mountains, you know? um, Directed by uh, Felix, Gran- Gro- Felix van Felix van uh who directed the Broken Circle Breakdown, which is great and like p- pretty high in the list of it, it, it. Pretty high in the running for the title of saddest movie I've ever seen. Uh, then he made one called Belgica or Belgica, which I haven't seen. Then he made his American movie Beautiful Boy, which is not very good. But the Eight Mountains, uh, um. Sees him teaming up for the first time with, uh, Carlet, um, Carlet, <laughs> Charlotte Vandermeer, um, who wrote or, or co-wrote, um, uh, yeah, co-wrote, uh, Broken Circle Breakdown, um, and has, I think, appeared in, in his movies, but this is our first time as a director and they're a directing team, um, so this is a movie about, uh, like I said, it's about two and a half hours. No, it's about, um, it, it starts in the eighties where a boy from, from the, the city, uh, it's an Italian movie, boy from, uh, uh Turin, um, uh, his family vacations in the, this small mountain town for the entire summer and he becomes friends with a local like farmer boy. Uh, and then they end up going back every summer for the rest of his childhood and uh, they become uh, close friends. And then they grow apart and uh, um, they end up coming back together as adults in their, you know, I don't know, late late 30s early 40s i guess probably late 30s um and uh starting this project of fixing up an old house together um but that's what i mean what i've described is like takes you like even the fixing up the house takes you only up to about the halfway point of the movie there's a whole um the movie expands after that uh but it's another uh, not to the extent of broken circle breakdown but it is another movie that is very sad, but not in the maudlin way of Beautiful Boy. It's well-earned and human, because I think Van Groningen and, and Van Der Schmeer... Uh, is that her name? Uh, Van Der Meersch. Um, they love these two. They love the other people in their, in their lives, and they are invested in this friendship, but I think the movie is about the the sort of inevitable fact that some things just don't last no matter how much you, of yourself you put into them and how much they mean to you sometimes things run their course and there's nothing you can do about it and that's a source of great pain Um uh, I know um I can't wait to talk to Tyler about this movie because I know he um has often uh or at least has occasionally complained that there aren't enough movies about male friendship that just close male uh friendship um um intimate male friendship that is not romantic or sexual uh and the eight mountains might be one of the better movies i've ever seen on on that subject so uh well done to van gernigan and van der meersh um, next up is the first one I've ever seen from uh Rebecca Zlatowski. um she's known for um planetarium and I think uh Grand Central is also one of hers that I've heard of uh with Leia Cdu. Yeah, that is her. um but uh her new film is called Other People's Children. And it is about a woman, uh, played by Virginie Efira uh, from, uh, Paul Verhoeven's Benedetta. Um, who is, uh, a teacher who is herself childless and, um, dating, uh, and then, you know, starts a relationship with a man who is divorced and has, a four-year-old child um and they become close and it's she becomes a stepmother sort of um and uh she starts to i mean she's uh, she starts to like uh acknowledge that if she wants to have a biological child of her own it's going to have to happen probably sooner than later um so it has i mean it, it's that all sounds melodramatic. And I guess this is a melodrama, but as we've often said, you know, so many people use melodrama in a negative way, uh, but something like other people's children can really, really proves just how strong, um, deeply emotional uh, that sort of format can, can be. Um, so, you in know, in an interesting way, uh other people's children reminded me of the worst person in the world uh even though you know this woman is almost twenty years older than the character and worst person in the world and um uh the movie is you know french um but uh in the sense not just that both movies are beautifully shot and beautifully composed but in a sense that it's a very personal or it's a story about very one a single person that only gradually reveals itself to actually be about life as we know and live it in the world that we inhabit and the effect we have on each other and the decisions we make for ourselves and for the people we care about uh I found myself really bowled over by the end of the movie one second okay excuse me um next up is a movie called uh La Iman Sita um L apostrophe I M M E N S A T A um directed by Emmanuel um, and starring Penelope Cruz, which is really the, the main thing that you want to know about it. Um, but unfortunately it's just not very good. Even, even with, uh, even with Penelope Cruz, uh, who is someone that I, that I love. I just thought the movie was, um, uh, Well, you know what? I was talking about melodrama being used as a bad term. This seems like a, uh, bad, it's a bad melodrama. Um, it's mostly about, it takes place in the 1970s and, uh, Penelope Cruz plays the mother to uh, a group of children, but the oldest child, uh, um... Adri or whatever is, um, weren't using the term then, but is clearly a trans boy. But, um, the world doesn't understand that. And her father, um, certainly played by Vincenzo Amato, um, certainly doesn't understand that. Um, the trans boys play Luana Giuliani. Um, but, uh, I, I, I got annoyed with how much the movie is looking for a pat on the back uh, and, and flattering the audience in, in terms of us like feeling sympathy for this trans boy in a time um, not that things were like easy for trans kids now god not even close but uh, at a time when there wasn't even a word for that um, uh, but it makes him like a little too perfect you know uh it has him sort of like shouting at men for catcalling and so and it just feels it it feels so clearly written in the modern from a modern day point of view um that it was hard to see any of the characters as as real people as opposed to just like projections of someone who's in the 2020s trying to make a point um, unfortunately yeah uh, can't can't speak too highly of Lemon Sita um, next up is Savannah Leaf's Earth Mama um, which is a movie about a young woman who uh, is pregnant and at the same time as her two already existing kids um, have been taken out of her care and placed in foster care, she gets to visit them for short supervised visits um, once a week or, or so. And she's in the process of trying to get them back. Um, Tia Nomore is the name of the actress. Uh, who's actually a rapper. Um, and she's absolutely the main reason to see this movie. Uh, it's a Fantastic, captivating performance. Um, and the movie, without being thesis driven or lecturing, is uh, a pretty powerful sort of uh, delineation of the way that um, being on the skids financially. Means all of your problems get worse, and once you're in a once you're in a system like your kids are in the foster care system, there's no getting out, and it's a trap that is seemingly designed for one thing, but actually seems to function in such a way as to um, make things worse and make it harder and harder um, to. To grow and to reunite and and everything so it, it's a, a really powerful movie in that sense it also has some sort of like flights of inspiration whatever where things happen that are clearly like in tina mori's character's head uh what is her name the character's name is gia i think yeah gia um in her head uh and those become sort of like real for a moment. And those, those moments seem a little like tacked on to like, as if uh, Savannah Lee felt like, well, oh, this needs to be more, you know, impressionistic or more surreal or more arty, I guess. Um, I didn't love those, but it's still uh, definitely a, a fascinating movie and a fantastic performance from Tia Uh One second. That's the problem with doing these solo is there's no one to vamp when I have to take a drink of water, but you don't want me to not be taking drinks of water. Okay, so let's move on to the first real piece of, I guess, you could uh, accuse me of contrarianism here, um, because, uh, Chloe Domont's Fair Play made quite a splash, and I did not care for it, um... I really like phoebe dynavore from uh, um bridgerton um she played lady daphne if you know bridgerton and i like alton erenreich who hasn't been in a movie in like five years um but uh this is a movie about, about there are two analysts at a financial i don't know I'm already bored is the thing this is like so much of this takes place in the like high stakes world of finance but it's like all bullshit and I don't care and it's super boring Um, but it's all these people care care about so it was really hard to me to get into the movie when they're talking about like I'm gonna short this and there's a prospect of the fucking like I don't care I don't care about finance stuff um and that's like I said that's all they care about there's the characters are boring um, because the only thing they care about is something that is like mind-numbingly boring. Uh, but um, those two actors that I mentioned play a couple who work for the same firm but they are not like they're not supposed to be dating according to the rules of the company um, so they keep it uh, secret but then Phoebe Donovor's character gets promoted and is the boss of the of Alden Ehrenreich's character and and he, uh, can't handle that. Um, and so the, the characters are always already so thin to begin with. Like we know they say they love each other, although we see very little like evidence of it, um, before they were like, um, before Eldon, our Ir- next Irons- Irons- character just starts fucking things up for everybody. Um, cause he can't handle it. Uh, but we basically just know that they care about their jobs and that's it. Um. So then, uh, so they're already thinly drawn characters, and on top of that, then Alden Ehrenreich's character becomes a, an allegory for like men who are intimidated by powerful women or women who outrank them um, in in their status, and so uh, it's interesting. There's another movie coming up that I went into Sundance thinking had the potential to be you know this year's Promising Young Woman which as you'll recall I did not care for Promising Young Woman at all um but weirdly this one this one which is being talked about more is like oh it's a throwback to 90s erotic thrillers it's other than one like um like very charming scene at the very beginning there's not really much that's erotic about the movie uh at all um and it seems more like a thesis statement um so maybe that's why the next movie i saw i loved so much uh um you know maybe it helped that i just come from a movie i didn't like very much uh to go see excuse me celine song's Past Lives, in which, um, the actress Greta Lee, uh, who I really like, plays a, uh, Korean-born woman who, um, left Korea with her family in, I guess, the early 90s, I'm trying to remember exactly when it is, um, uh, or maybe the late 90s, now that I think about it, uh, yeah, probably late 90s, early 2000s. Anyway, that's not important. I'm just doing the math in my head. Uh, and um, they immigrated to Canada, and eventually in the modern day, she lives in New York City. She is working um, as uh, a writer and is married to another writer, a um, a white American man played by John Magaro. Um, and... Uh, but then her childhood best friend slash crush, uh, Hee played by Uto, um, comes to visit the the city, and so yeah, to have it explained like that, it's um, it makes it sound like a love triangle type of story, which I guess on the surface that, that is how you could describe it as a as a hook. But uh, the movie is called, like I said, it's called Past Lives, and uh, it's really about the way that we change, but the people that we were remain with the people who knew us when we were those people. Uh, so it's kind of ephemeral and, um ethereal and uh, there's another word I had on my existential I'm using all these E words uh, uh, and there's a deep sense of there's a deeply bittersweet sense to the like the, someone like Greta Lee's character can both can ho- and, and any human being can hold in their mind at the same time being happy with their lives as they are, and also longing in some way for what could have been differently. Th- those um, those things seem competing, but uh, holding competing ideas in your head is a big part of being human. And past lives uh, is easily the best um, premiere I saw at the at the festival, and um, uh, moved me me into, it did not quite move me to tears but I was apparently in the minority in that as the as the credits rolled there was just a chorus of sniffling all around me in in the at the Eccles theater um, definitely don't miss past lives when it comes out that, that's my recommendation do give a pass unfortunately uh, to Elijah Bynum's magazine dreams in which uh, Jonathan Majors, um, who's a very talented actor and this movie seems almost designed to prove how talented he is uh, plays a um, a uh, an aspiring bodybuilder who um, lives uh, with his lives and takes care of his grandfather but is also clearly in some need of taking care of himself has some psychological, maybe developmental, uh, uh, issues. Um, and, uh, um, his path towards bodybuilding is his entire purpose. And anytime anything throws that off, he goes into, um, a very dark existential tailspin. Uh, and it just felt like it was, reveling in a cynical vision of the world um it felt exploitative of our uh ills as opposed to like delving into them or exploring them it felt like it was exploiting um our societal ills of uh uh, the way that people on the fringe are 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 treated and um Those most at risk are, of course, also those most taken advantage of and, uh, you know, how people become violent or, or become incels or whatever. Uh, but it wasn't, there's nothing interesting and it goes on forever and it's just wallowing dark, cynical, exploitative garbage. It reminded me a lot of the whale. All right. Um, so the movie I mentioned earlier that I thought might be uh, had the potential—excuse me, real quick—had the potential to be uh, a superficial movie like "Promising Young Woman." Was is uh, Susanna Fogel's "Cat Person," which I which I enjoyed. Uh, I had really liked the short story that was written by someone. Uh, someone wrote it kristen rupenian i think would be a name um wrote a short story called cat person uh and um yeah that's a short story and this is a full two-hour movie it does expand upon um the It expands upon it in the sense that uh it adds some color to, you know, if you didn't read cat person, by the way, I should say, uh, Amelia Jones stars in it and she's the lead Margot who, uh, is a college student who, who has a part-time job in a movie theater and then such a relationship with a, uh, older, uh, man in his thirties. Who's kind of, uh, um, not quite like Jonathan majors in magazine dreams, but, uh, is, um, kind of a stunted nerd, um, himself, uh, Anyway. Um, so, yeah, the the movie adds some details to the story as it exists. You know, we meet, like, Margot's parents or, or, or uh, mom and stepdad. Um, but then it also, if you've read the short story, um, it ends in a way that is um, more suggestive than actually conclusive. And so in true like movie fashion, uh, an entire like third act of the movie, if not like uh, second half of the movie, uh, is completely invented. Um, but, uh, th- that sounds like I'm making fun, but I actually do think the inventions of the movie while, while being more, you know, audience pleasingly dramatic and movie ish, Uh, I think do still stick to the thing that's so interesting about this short story, the thing that got so many people talking about (laughs) the short story has got people talking, um, uh, that there's a, it's clearly like a post me too type of story. Um, about the way that men, um, uh, again, you know, men like Justin Long here, you've got, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, Nicholas Braun, again, kind of un- unassuming, like nice guy type. Uh, um, by the way, if the Justin Long thing was a reference to the, uh, uh movie journal, if you didn't listen to the last movie journal, go, uh, check that out. Sorry. Um, uh, Ah, I've lost track what was I saying uh, okay so yeah this, this story about how like um, the dangers that lurk inside the hearts and minds of men who feel they haven't gotten aren't getting what they deserve but the thing that's so fascinating about Cat, Cat Person the short story that I think the movie does a good job of retaining is that it's not that simple like on the one hand yeah the the cat person um Robert is the character's name um he does reveal himself to be uh an angry cool like bad dude but the movie and the short story acknowledge that humanity and an individual are not as simple as good or bad there's um uh you know, I'm trying to remember Margot Margot hurts him, and that doesn't justify the way that he reacts. but it's also true that she hurt him in ways that she didn't necessarily have to. Her own immaturity uh, is not flattering this isn't a story like Lemon Sita where the good the good guy is wholly good you know all the time and I like that I like how flawed Margot is and uh how much the movie recognizes that there are a lot of you, you know there's a lot of uh gray on the spectrum between good and bad um it managed to do that without like giving Robert or a viewer who's like Robert, um, a way out or a moral off ramp or letting them off the hook. <laughs> so yeah, it's not, uh, excuse me. It's not like a revelation. It's not perfect, but, uh, I would say that adapting that short story into a movie, uh, offered up some risks and, Susanna Fogel's movie, uh, stepped around those. It did, it, it walked over the, the, the risks. It didn't trip the wires. Um, so, uh, yeah, decently done. Um, now this could be one of those things that this movie might end up being a flashpoint and I'll get annoyed by the discourse, but right now I'm in the point of like, I just saw it and it wasn't bad and, uh, I will probably mostly forget about it pretty soon, but um, unless it becomes a big deal of a movie. Um, Okay, one second. Continuing on to a movie that is already out in theaters, actually, um, but premiered at at Sundance, uh, Brandon Cronenberg's Infinity Pool. And uh, I am very pro-Brandon Cronenberg. I haven't seen Antiviral, but I loved Possessor. And Infinity Pool isn't quite, I don't think, as uh, intoxicating and entrancing and uh, as Possessor, though it might be as disgusting as Possessor sometimes. Um, it weirdly fits into this... Um, this eat the rich mentality or like look at how fucked up the rich people are thing that has really dominated a lot of movies, uh, especially in the past, this past year, um, with things like triangle of sadness and glass onion. And, um, I guess the menu, I haven't seen it. I also haven't watched white Lotus, but it just seems like, uh, there's a real, um, resurgence in that kind of mentality. And infinity pool definitely fits in to that. Um, uh, Alexander Skarsgård and Cleopatra Coleman um, play a couple who were vacationing in a fictional country um, um, at, a, at a very fancy resort um, they meet another couple um, played by Mia Goth and uh, Jaleel Lesper I don't know him um, but he's very good in the movie, by the way. Uh, yeah. Anyway, they befriend them, they get into some trouble with the law, and they, I don't want to give too much away, but they find out about the very, uh, specific way that this fictional country deals with, um, wealthy criminals. And, uh, it, um, yeah, the movie digs into... I would say on the surface doesn't dig into it on the surface. It is about, uh, the way that the rules work differently for rich people and rich people can get, can get away with things. Uh, but also, um, Brandon Cronenberg has a preoccupation with questions of identity, um, and the separation between identity and the, uh, you know bleeding punctured malleable soft breakable uh flesh in which the identity is housed um and so the movie ends up being more of a descent into alexander sarsgaard's um disassociation and and um his back and forth between the freedom of immorality and the loss of self of um giving into your own worst impulses uh yeah the movie is um uh dreamy maybe more nightmarish than dreamy but sometimes quite dreamy as well uh incredibly incredibly gory uh and uh, Mia Goth continues to be on quite a run just with these. Um, I mean, this character is uh, hilarious, but also scary. Um, and also, as she often is, she's quite sexy. Uh, it's a, a movie full of, of really great performances in service of something that is not quite like anything you've seen before. So I uh, applaud. Brandon Cronenberg and definitely urge you if you have the stomach for it to check out Infinity Pool Uh, and yeah don't uh, don't learn much more about it than I told you before you're going to see it Um, weirdly I could also say about something that's a much more low-key movie I would also say maybe don't learn too much about the movie before you're going to see it Uh, Alice Englert um, who's an actor uh, wrote and directed uh, um, a movie called "Bad Behavior," in in which uh, uh, Jennifer Connelly plays a former child actor who is uh, going off to a sort of. Silent, meditative, New Agey, like self-confrontational retreat to try and find herself. We come to realize this is something she has been doing uh, a lot. <laughs> this is not her first time going to one of these type of things. Um, she's searching for something. Meanwhile, her daughter, played by Alice Englert, actually um, has become a professional stuntwoman and is on a shoot in New Zealand. And the movie sort of cuts back and forth between the Pacific Northwest in. In New Zealand, and sort of draws parallels between this mother and daughter, and then and, and um, what they've done with their lives and how they've they've gotten there. Um, but Jennifer Connelly is the, definitely the main star, uh, and she's fantastic. She's playing a woman who is completely un unmore, just completely out of touch with herself, and as we come to realize, has probably not been in touch with her self or the real world for a long, long time and is going through a very protracted and serious bout of, uh, psychological distress, um, depression and other sorts of things. But the movie is also like darkly, very funny. Uh, um, uh, but this, this, I won't say too much more about what happens in the movie, but I will say that Jennifer Connelly gives what I think might be the performance of her career. Um, there's also, I know this is a controversial figure, but uh, I tend to like her when she's in movies. Uh, Dasha ne- Dasha Nekersova, um who's um, you know, from the scary of 61st and from real life stuff that I don't give a fuck about. Um uh, um, she is uh, another person who's at the retreat. Who's like a, she plays a model, um, which is very like good for her persona to play. Uh, anyway, yeah. So bad behavior, <laughs> liked it quite a bit. Uh, next up, a documentary called Kokomo City. Um, and uh, Kokomo City is not a real place. It, uh, uh, I'm not sure exactly what it. Um what it means but uh, this is a look at black trans black trans women um, specifically black trans women who have learned to survive through sex work um, and that it feels specific but one of the things that's so fascinating about the movie is realizing like unfortunately how common this is because of the lack of options and the amount of rejection from friends and friends and family um trans women and black trans women um go through that so many of them turn to sex work but what's also so fascinating about the movie is that it's an overview of so many different kinds of humanity it's it's an argument that you know black trans women is not there's not just it's not a one size fits all like there are so many different things that any black trans woman just like any black cis woman uh, or any other person uh, can be and yet there are also at the same time a lot of things that bind them together that are very specific to their experience um but what i'm saying makes it sound like it's a didactic that it's a lesson it's a survey uh really the thing that comes through is the shocking amount of positivity these women have despite what they've gone through um and uh uh, the personality the movie feels like a fun like hang out after party in so many ways even though sometimes it's very sobering but it's more often than not joyous almost celebratory um and uh i was really really into it i really started to feel quite a connection to these women um uh, over the course of uh, of of the movie um it's very short and I wish I could spend more time with these women. Uh, okay. Next up, this is the penultimate. We're almost at the end here. Uh, new film from Justin Chong, Justin Chong called jamojaya Um, and I'm, uh, I haven't seen Ms. Purple, but I'm a fan of Justin Chong. Uh, I liked his debut, which is called Gook. Um, I loved Blue Bayou. I also watched, uh, Apple TV Plus's Pachinko, which he directed, half the episodes of. Um, uh, I I really like him, and Jaya is no, generally no exception, but um, you know, with a caveat that we'll come back to. Uh, the movie is about a young Indonesian rapper who has a record deal with an American label and has come to. Hawaii to record his debut <coughs> album um, and then unannounced his father who when he was just a local, just in, a rapper in Indonesia, his father was his manager but he kind of like had to part ways in, on business terms with his father to try and reach a bigger audience and his father comes to Hawaii unannounced um, and that's kind of the the germ here uh, of, of the action. Hold on. But um, if you know Justin Chong, I'm going to come back to a word I keep using this episode, and that's melodrama. And Justin Chong, I think, is um, one of current cinema's most undersung uh, and talented melodramatists. Uh, um, the, the depth of emotion that is felt in the history and the liminal space between this father and son. Um, but also the resentment because there's a, a, a brother who died um, in a way we'll find out. Uh, you find out later in the movie. Um, there's an absence there. The mother is not there. These, this father and son are all each other have, but also they represent to one another, what they don't have, what they've lost. So there's a lot of, uh, um, angst, I guess there, but, uh, but one thing I've really liked about Justin Sean is, uh, his, um, his eye and his use of color. Or in the case of something like Gook, which is in black and white, his lack of use of color, but that's just as, deliberate and, and, and powerful and here you've got this movie that is so rich and brilliant in color i mean we're in the verdant hawaii you know jungle um and then the sandy beaches and the blue ocean but also uh uh J-Mo is the main character's name the the rapper um his indoor life of studios and corporate parties and stuff and promotional appearances is based in these reds and yellows, um, and sometimes greens and blues. Uh, it, it's, um, it's a gorgeous movie. Um, the cinematographer's name is Ante Chang, um, who is, uh, uh, yeah, clearly, I mean, Blue Bayou, Gook, Miss Purple, Jim O'Jaya, like clearly, these two are a package deal, Justin Chan and, and, and Tae Chang. So, uh, yeah, I really found the movie very touching. But I let's get back to that enormous caveat. <clears throat> and I know that... Hold on. Sometimes movies, you know, they play festivals. And then they get changed before they come out. I kind of hope that is the case here. Because there was a big emotional moment near the end of Jamajaya. That Justin Sean, for some reason that I cannot fathom, chose to score or or to backdrop with the song Strange Fruit by Billie Holiday. This is not a movie about lynching. (laughs) It's not a movie about black Americans. There is plenty of talk of trees and fruit. And so I kind of like halfway understand why Justin Sean might have thought of this song. But he's got to know what the song is about. And it's so weird to use this song in this moment when the song has so much meaning and cultural weight attached to it it's super fucking weird and jarring and it took me right out of the movie. And I truly hope that someone gets in Justin John's ear and gets him to put another song in that scene before the movie actually comes out. Uh, Cause it's frankly, it's fucking insane that he chose to put that song in there. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Anyway. Um, let's move on to the final movie that I saw which is the new movie from Nicole Holof Center and it's a reunion between her and Julie Louis-Dreyfus from uh, Enough Said which is 10 years old now uh, it's called You Hurt My Feelings um, Julie Louis-Dreyfus plays a writer whose husband played by Tobias Menzies is a therapist um, and uh, the sort of narrative and character archy sort of crux of the movie is that he's very supportive of her new novel to her, but she overhears him talking to one of his friends about how he doesn't like the new book and he doesn't know he can't tell her that. And, um, it sends her into kind of a tailspin, um, and, uh, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's the incident of, of the movie. But, I uh, I think Nicole Hall of Center's, um, sense of community. I mean, it's a very specific, you know, um, upper middle-class New York City, community. Michaela Watkins plays Julia Louis-Dreyfus's younger sister. Jeannie Berlin plays their mother. Um, there are a bunch of, uh, great, um, small roles, uh, playing Tobias Menzies, uh, patients. Uh, oh, and Owen Teague plays their, um, their, their son. Uh, who also wants to be a writer himself, and so I, I think the Nicole Huff Center is very good at this sort of connections of uh, uh, community, the specific that is also universal. Uh, um, I mean, I think this is a movie that is very much, or is mostly for people who are like this. But I also think the sense of community that is is drawn in the movie would make this movie. Uh, illuminating in a positive way to people who aren't from this type type of 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 world. Um, uh, so yeah, there's friendships and relationships, and you know, like the great sort of American indie filmmaker that Nicole center is. That's that's their that's their bread and butter that those types of filmmakers you know remnants of not remnants because she's still obviously thriving but people who have the roots in the 90s american independent uh uh movement um uh she's just one of the ones that's still going strong and i'm putting the saving the best for last which is that the movie is hilarious it's so funny and julia louis dreyfus is so great uh um I mean, it's hard, hard for me to imagine anyone not being a fan of Julia louis drivers. but uh, uh, for those who are especially big JLD fans, this movie is her in top form. So definitely highly recommended that you check out You Hurt My Feelings when it came out. <clears throat> and I have no voice left, but uh, uh, I, I have no voice, but I must wrap up. <laughs> uh, those are the movies that I saw at Sundance. Um, I'll be posting reviews at You uh, Otherwise, you can find my tweets about the movies at uh, at Davey Pretension on Twitter. Reach out to me there. Email me at David at com. Check out my other podcast, the one where I met your mother, where my wife and I uh, watch an episode of Friends and an episode of How I Met Your Mother, met your mother every week. Uh, this most recent episode that we just recorded um, is... Uh, excuse me that we most recently posted uh is season four episode 13 of both shows which means it's uh for how i met your mother it's the episode three days of snow which is one of if not the uh all-time favorite for me of of that of that series so that's a that's a good uh good episode so check that out you can find that battleship pretension.com wherever you want um thanks for listening and we will get you next time